welcome to today's podcast of Retail Is. I'm Kylie Ross Seibert from Retail Alliance, and I'm joined here with Joey Morgan. And today's guest is Laurie Yunker from Once Upon a Child and Close Mentor and Newport News. She is the co-owner of both businesses, and I'd like to welcome her today. And also, just Laurie, if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do in your business. Sure, happy to be here. Thank you, Kylie. Uh, as you mentioned, I am a co-owner of Once Upon a Child and Closed Mentor in Newport News. Uh, in addition to that, I do still have a day job, so my involvement in our businesses is mostly uh, nights and weekends. I have two wonderful business partners. Uh, one is my husband, Tobias, and the other is my twin sister, Tracy. They are in the businesses full-time. So I work with them on nights and weekends, really on anything around overall business strategy, business planning, uh, really kind of a high-level stuff so that we're all agreed as owners and then in their uh, roles they're responsible for all of that operational execution and business management. Wow okay so it sounds like you've got a rather large amount of work on your plate. <laughs> so, yeah I, now, I, I jokingly tell people I have a very strange hobby. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> do, you, do you call this a hobby though? <laughs> um, you know, if you think about something that takes up every waking minute and your free time, I think it falls in the, uh, the hobby bucket. And it's, it's a joke in our family because this is a family business. And when we come together, um, my parents and our kids will sit down at the table and say, you are not allowed to talk about business. <laughs> like the three of you not talk about business because you just naturally live it all the time. So our, uh, Members of the family, especially at family gatherings, put some pretty strict rules in place. And then you, it's when you realize it's all you think about and all you talk about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we've been now with this uh, pandemic has been going on now, it feels like forever. But in reality, yeah. I suppose we're into the second month. Um, mm -hmm. Back when it all started, how did, how did you, like, cope in the beginning? And... Tell us, sort of tell us the process from there, how you've adapted those two businesses, the, the small businesses. Sure. Um, well, this is absolutely the most terrifying thing um, that has ever happened to us. Our, our children's store has been open. It'll be 10 years in September. And our women's store will be uh, seven years, I believe, this October. So we've, we've been in business uh, a little bit of time, but have never seen anything like this. So um, the initial reaction was just, uh, honestly, it was just absolute terror uh, because we were in this limbo of waiting to find out if the governor was going to shut down everything or what approach Virginia was going to take. And so we um, immediately, I think, had some whiskey and then we started business planning uh, because we, we didn't know what was coming, uh, but we knew it wasn't going to be short term. If we think about traditional business planning, in our business plan, we usually had two months cash on hand. And that has always been able to sustain our businesses. And we've never even had to apply for credit lines because we were able to manage the business within that parameter. But when this happened, just from what everyone was describing in terms of how long a pandemic will last and the timeline between um, when it would start and when we would have vaccines, we just knew this was not a one or two month uh, problem. And we knew we had two months cash on hand. So we uh, instantly went from managing our P&L to managing our balance sheet. So we knew immediately this was all going to be about liquidity. Um, you know, whereas we would normally be meeting weekly and we would be very much talking P&L stuff. It was now all about 
how do we stay liquid and how do we do it if we're completely shut down, if we're partially shut down, how do we do this? Um, so thankfully, uh, when this hit, you know, at, as quickly as governments and agencies can start reporting, you know, we started getting information that told us that there would be some signs of life. Um, so the first thing that we heard about that I think honestly let us sleep for the first time was the SBA economic um, impact disaster loan, the EIDL loan, mm -hmm. uh, because that was something that existed. Uh, we would qualify for it. Um, we, we were just waiting for Virginia to get the disaster declaration so we could apply for it. Uh, and this is where I have to give absolute kudos to Tobias because his life went 100% into understanding every option we had for financing. And I have to say, it's, um, it's a blessing and a curse. We, we knew that we had to do something to make sure we stayed liquid, but we were completely out of debt in our women's store and we were about 18 months from being completely out of debt in our children's store from all of the initial financing. So it was really gut-wrenching to think, oh my God, <laughs> we, have to, we have to take out a loan. Um, but that's, that's the reality of it. And so um, Tobias applied for the EIDL. Uh, the PPP, the, the Paycheck Protection Program, was uh, talked about and available shortly after that. We applied for those as well. And we also opened a credit line at one of our stores, um, which as I said, we've never had to have those before. So the, the credit line happened very quickly. Um, the EIDL took a little bit more time and the PPP loans, even though we've been approved and funded, still haven't worked their way down. Um, so I have to say this experience has been, uh, I think frustrating for a lot of small businesses because this was help and protection that was supposed to be to put in place for small businesses. And then we had this weird reality where the only banks that were staffed and resourced to process the loans were the big nationals that don't really care about small local businesses. And the banks that really care about small local businesses weren't big enough or resourced enough to handle and process the volume of what hit them. Um, so we're, we're actually still not uh, funded from the, the PPP loans and have had a, had a hiccup on one of them through a bank error that, that we can't fix. But now that the funding's gone, could mean we, we don't get a loan that we were told we were approved and funded for. So it's been a bit of a um, a nightmare <laughs> all around, all around on those. But those were kind of the steps we immediately took was to say it's all got to be about liquidity at this point. Um, thankfully, I think Virginia found a, a, as good a middle ground as anyone could find in this. Uh, we are non-essential retail, but we were able to uh, maintain social distancing in our businesses, so we didn't have to close. But the reality is our doors are open, but customers are not out. Um, and we saw that very quickly. So we went from in, in our children's store being up 30% for April month to date to within the initial um, hit of the pandemic being down, we were down 90% at one point. We finished the month uh, down 68%, which is just still a horrifying number, but we actually consider that a pretty good success all things considered. So we, we finished April down 68% uh, in our women's store and 85% in the, sorry, 68% in the children's store and 85% in our women's store and, and we're technically open. So um, within a week of, of this hitting, we knew that it was all gonna be about getting online and shifting our business model. And, and we are resale. So our inventory is not predictable. It's individual pieces. Our children's store has at any given time about 150,000 individual SKUs 
our women's store has about a third of that. But the reality is that's very hard to merchandise online. So we have been talking for years, a couple of years, very seriously about how do we get online? We know we need to do this, but how do we do this? Because it's not it's not easy to merchandise. Um, this, this pandemic forced us to just say, we have to do this, we have to find a way. And, and this is where um, I think it helps. Like I said, I have business partners, not all small business owners have business partners. If you don't have business partners, you need other retailers that you are brainstorming with that do the same thing you do. And a lot of people do that. We can do that through peer exchange groups at Retail Alliance, or some people are in associations based on their industries. Um, but it was very interesting to see how the three of us all brought something very different to the table. Um, Tobias absolutely brought the, the finance and treasury piece to the table, and Tracy just shines when it comes to operational problem solving. And just overnight, it was, okay, we've got to get online. How can we do that? Tobias took the lead with finding platforms, getting integrations, getting something in place because we, we are franchises, but our franchises do not offer um, uh, e-tailing at this time. So it was very much a go get it done in your on your own kind of thing. Um, so Tobias was able to get that set up. And then Tracy just started coming up with these great ideas about, okay, if it's too hard, if it's too hard to individually merchandise, how do we sell? And she came up with uh, spring and summer essential boxes in our kids store, which was a flat rate. You, you send us um, your child's age, size, any preferences that you have. And it was this box that would get you, I think we got on average 16 to 20 pieces in and it was $50. And they took off like wildfire, like overnight, the only sales we had coming in. And when we started those, we weren't even online, we were social selling. So step one was go to Facebook, uh, do Facebook lives, tell people about the um, spring and summer essential boxes, let them comment or call. We took the orders that way. We set up PayPal, which was a interim step, but PayPal is a bit labor intensive on the invoicing side. So once we actually got the online store sh uh, set up through Shopify, that made the, the payment easier. And we were actually able to, to drive people online. But like I said, our doors were open, feet were not coming through them. And when we looked at our sales, for the end of the month, bearing in mind that we were only social shopping and online for about, actually, I don't even think we were fully online. Yeah, we were for about two weeks, um, but over 75% of our sales were not through what we were used to doing. Wow. Um, so it, it was a big shift. It was very fast. Um, I, I should mention, unfortunately, we did have to furlough uh, about 70% of our staff, we have thankfully been able to start recalling at this point, but we're still not back to to 100%. But we hope to be back there, I would hope, as we start reopening in May, to, to finally get back to that point. So a follow-up question to what you just said, um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, so if you're uncomfortable answering it, mm -hmm. uh, please say so. But with unemployment offering a fairly generous salary in a way, um, is it hard to rehire those people? You know, we were, we were very concerned about that uh, because the, the supplemental care piece, if we look at traditional wages in restaurant and retail, it's, I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> we're competing against upwards of $20 an hour. 
Um, now, our businesses, thankfully, we pay well above minimum wage. We do offer benefits like uh, paid time off and bonuses and things like that. So we, we like to think that we've got things in place that as, as retailers make us uh, good people to work for. But uh, what we found, thankfully, is so far we, we've only had one associate, um, but she has some underlying medical conditions. And so we could understand her concerns, but otherwise most people uh, are seeing the big picture, which is these ben those benefits are temporary. This job is not. Uh, and the reality is if we recall them and they don't come back, they lose their eligibility for those benefits. Yeah, um, I, I've, now, I've never heard the concern because there, there's no way that you could just choose to stay on unemployment. It's not a choice yeah. it, get recalled. Yeah. And, what what we haven't seen though, and I think that all of the states, Virginia included, ha are just overwhelmed with the number of people that are processing through the unemployment system. So I don't know how long it's going to take uh, the VEC to catch up, um, but we do report to them. If we have recalled someone and they refuse to come back, we are reporting it to them. And I think the, the part that we're trying to help our associates understand is if you don't come back, and you continue to receive benefits and you're deemed ineligible as of the state, you have to pay that money back. It's, it's not just that you get to keep it. You're gonna owe Virginia any money collected while you're deemed ineligible. And the reality is I think it's gonna take the state a long time to work backwards and disqualify people. So then if you think about receiving your unemployment plus $600 a week for two or three months and you have to pay it back, you're in a much worse situation um, than if you worked. Now, my understanding is there are a couple things brewing at the federal level where they're trying to put some things in place to mitigate this challenge. I don't know how they'll come through. One, I think, was on uh, the tax side. At tax filing time, there'll potentially be some kind of tax benefit for people who continued working. I mean, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I think the legislators realized their hearts were in the right place with the legislation, but they didn't think through how it was going to play out in real life. Uh, and so there, there is some movement, at least my understanding as of yesterday, to try to mitigate that. But thankfully for us so far, for our initial recalls, um, we've only had one uh, that, that opted out. Well, that's good. I think it is a little different, uh, I think, more in the restaurant industry um, mm -hmm. with minimum wages you know, and tips. You know, it's, it's a little harder to get that income. It's much easier just to put your hand up for unemployment. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but that challenge is real. I, I have a friend whose son is a bartender and she said to me, he went from making about $12 an hour working to $23 an hour on unemployment. Yeah. I mean, that really does not motivate you to, uh, to want to go back. So that, that challenge is definitely real. Yeah, for sure. So with a word that, you know, the governor is now putting forward his reopening plan, um, where are you going to, or when are you likely to start getting back to, I suppose, well, first of all, is your business going to go back to what it was? <laughs> because now you've got an online <laughs> version. So how do you see your business yeah. operating in the future? Yeah, so we, we actually are dreaming of the day when business as usual comes back 100%, and I think it will. I don't know how long that's going to be, but I do think it will come back. What we're now looking at is, and this sounds really harsh to say, but never waste a crisis is one of the things that's been our mantras because we, we saw early on, um, let me back up. 
our whole philosophy in our stores is to make buying and selling stuff convenient. And what we realized was in the old world, we thought we were offering convenience. And I think we were, but what we've noticed through the explosion in the online sales is there's an entire customer behavior that we were not reaching. And that is, if I think specifically at our children's store, the mom that just doesn't want to be bothered with packing the kids up and going somewhere. Um, and so I think that demand is absolutely going to stay. So what we're looking at now is how do we, how do we grow the online? And we know in time, business as usual is going to come back because the reality is the, the online is still very, very, very labor intensive for us because it is still individual pieces. Another thing that we launched, I completely forgot about, we went to um, virtual personal shoppers. And so uh, we've always done personal shopping in our women's store, never thought about it in the store, but let me tell you how many moms like shopping virtually during nap time. And so we literally were doing FaceTime or Zoom, depending on whether people had an iPhone or an Android device, they scheduled a time, they told us in advance what they wanted, our team members pulled 30 or 40 pieces, and they literally held them up, and they said yes, and they said no, and we rung it up, bagged it up, they picked it up or we shipped it. Um, and we've had really, really good response on that. So I think that's a customer segment we weren't reaching before. Um, and if we were reaching them, it wasn't offering the level of convenience they want. We also had a mother of a special needs child say, you have basically, you have just saved my life because my child has special needs. Shopping is the worst thing I ever have to do. So if I never have to walk in a store again, to buy my kid clothes, that makes my life a lot easier. And so she just said, I think this is really a great option for parents like me where managing children outside the house is a challenge. And she just talked about how much she loved pulling up. We walked it out to the curb. She went home and never had to deal with the challenges of a special needs child. So uh, again, it sounds harsh to say never waste a crisis, but I think we have, you know, necessity being mother of invention we have figured out that there's something that we can keep in the business that we otherwise, I don't know how long we would have been humming and hawing about online sales. Otherwise mm -hmm. this just made us pull it together. Did, um, do you feel like it's a new customer base with the online or just converting your current customer base? Um, it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit of both because what we've picked up online is out of state shoppers. Um, which is actually interesting because I have to say again, we are, we're a franchise and normally we have restrictions around selling outside of our territory. So part of what our franchises did, uh, and it's actually only for 180 days in our children's stores, they have allowed us to, to sell outside of our territory. So where we've picked up new customers, it's uh, people out of state that have found us through Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, or So we, we do a lot of digital advertising. So if I just... Um, before this all happened, we were doing um, Google ads, uh, YouTube, Facebook with ads, Instagram with ads. Of course, we have a website and we do emails. So we've always had um, a good digital presence. Uh, we also do Waze advertising as well. Um, but I think with this, because we were now advertising online, it got attention of people that were out of state that could shop from us. Whereas before we weren't saying click here and buy something. It was just driving people to our website. Oh, I was going to ask you that was, um, yeah. How, how are you actually connecting with the consumers? You know, once you, you know, sort of had to 
change and, and you know, this overused word of mm -hmm. it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you still, yeah, you still had your email, you still had, your, you kept your marketing. Um, yeah. Okay, so a lot of people haven't been able to do that um, because obviously their, their cash flow just stopped. Um, yep. Tell us a little bit then in terms of your business, how did you manage to have that cash flow to be able to continue even marketing? Mm -hmm. Yep. So we did reduce our advertising. So we do radio and then we do our bucket and digital. We did suspend our radio advertising. Uh, and our logic behind that was cash flow, uh, but it was also, um, I, I like to take the approach of bait when the fish are biting. And we saw immediately that people were not out and about shopping, which is good. I mean, we were all told stay at home. You're safer at home. We needed to flatten the curve. I, it was good that people were doing what they were doing, but we just felt like with radio advertising, um, we had to cut somewhere. And since we were going to be pushing online, we thought digital was the better fit. Um, especially because, like I said, we now had a, you can press a button and buy something from us, which we didn't have before. And with marketing and advertising spend, it's always about conversion or trying to figure out what you're actually converting from the spend. So we, we will go back to radio. That's not gone forever. It's just in the, in the meantime, um, but because we were able to stay open and I think because we were able to pivot, I mean, it was, I want to say Kylie four days from, from the governor's order to us social selling. It was, it was really quick. Uh, and again, that all goes to Tracy. She was the one that, that made that happen with the team. Um, but we thankfully, despite our sales being down as much as they are, we were able to make enough to cover rent, labor, and essential bills. So, you know, we're, and, and I guess it's, it's safe to say most people on listening to this podcast are owners. I mean, we're, we're not getting paid. <laughs> the, the first people that don't get paid in, when business is bad is the owners. So we have cut every expense we can cut, but the ones that we thought were still critical to, um, to the business we kept. And the reality is you can't stop advertising. Even in a pandemic, you've got to keep your brand out there. You've got to stay in front of people. But, you know, what we found to be really most effective in this time in terms of from the second we say it to someone making an order was Facebook Live. Um, and, and you can you can and we can watch it now with, with Shopify with all the analytics. So it's not anecdotal anymore. You, you can watch from the minute they go live to, you know, within five minutes, 28 people are shopping online and then you can convert that into into sales. Um, so. We, we, we've cut some, we didn't cut it all. We will go back to what we were doing before. We've just got to manage expenses as closely as we can right now. Mm -hmm. So being a franchise, um, and it sounds like, you know, you were saying you've had to do a lot of this on your own. Um, mm -hmm. Have you felt like you have been able to help any other of the franchises with this or have they had to do their own thing as well? Yeah, no, no. In fact, that's part of the reason we franchise is because of the best practice sharing. So um, tr there's a, a Facebook owners group that we're in. And as soon as we realized these spring and summer essential boxes were going to be a lifeline, we shared everything in that owners group and said, here's all the material. Here's some videos you can use. Go do it. Uh, and, and it actually was a lifeline for everyone that was open. But just to put it in context, I mentioned before that I felt like Virginia did as good a job as you could with finding a middle ground. 
there are a little over 400 Once Upon a Child stores nationwide. There were only 170 that were open the end, uh, the end of March and April. So uh, almost three quarters of the stores were closed by state mandate. They closed non-essential retail. There was no option for them to, um, to keep their doors open. And so we were trying to get this out to people saying, hey, even if you're closed, you can do online because there's now there, there were some states, I mean, they were <laughs> full on draconian where you couldn't even be in your store. Um, so like I say, when I, when I compare Virginia's response to those states, I am thankful that we were not completely shut down, that we had the ability to, to pivot and do things. We, we jokingly said we've never worked so hard for so little sales <laughs> in our entire lives. Uh, but when, when, when the focus is liquidity, then every dollar counts. Uh, absolutely every dollar counts. Great. Well, I'm so glad that you've been able to continue with both businesses. So um, we're going to wrap it up. Is there anything else you wanted to share with our readers, audience, uh, viewers, you know, however they're consuming it now through Zoom and our podcast? Is there anything you wanted to share? No. Yeah, I think the main thing is if you're a small business owner, you have to roll with the punches. Um, I, I think we all admit you do get knocked down. It's scary and you feel paralyzed for a second. But we all went into businesses because we had a good idea or some type of entrepreneurial spirit. And it's when you just, you have to draw on that. Um, you've got to have a network that supports you. Don't be afraid to ask for help and ask for ideas. Uh, I know we do um, together as owners, what we call a what works scan on a regular basis, which is not looking at retail, looking at other industries, what other people are doing, what works for them. And, and can we apply that to our business? I think you just have to get really creative all the time. Um, and, and do and see what you can do. So I, I think my final word would just be, you know, again, never waste the crisis. This has been a horrible thing for all of us. I think it was exceptionally difficult because, you know, we've, we've looked at impacts through our professional careers and this is gonna date us, but, you know, we had the, the recession of the early nineties. We had the tech boom and bust. We had 9-11. We had the financial crisis of 2008. We've seen things like this before, but it was never everyone, everywhere, every industry at the same time come to a grinding halt. So the extent of this is definitely something we haven't seen. And then we didn't have any of our normal ways to cope with this. So you, you couldn't go out, you couldn't get together with friends, like the normal things that you would do just to cope with a difficult time weren't there. And then everybody's home lives were turned upside down with working from homes and schools out. And so I definitely think there is an intensity to this that has been difficult. Um, so it would be a shame to go through it and not pull everything from it that we can and figure out how we let it strengthen our business on the other side, not defeat it. And that's what we're trying to focus on now is how do we strengthen our business with everything that we've learned? We've got to be patient. We know the other stuff is going to come back, but you know, we're, we're now pursuing things that, like I said, I don't know when we would have gotten that in place otherwise. So um, just be persistent, be creative and roll with the punches. Let it hurt. Let it paralyze you for a second, but get back up. That's what we have to do. Well, I gotta say, uh, thank you so much for being on. You are probably the easiest person we've ever interviewed. We, we had to ask you, I think, four <laughs> questions and you answered about so that was great. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on, Lori. 
Thanks, hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me and thank you for everything you're doing to help resource retailers in Hampton Roads. Thank you. Thanks very much.